Well, it's a, it's a privilege to, to be here with you. And uh, we're not doing Genesis and Revelation like every other week. We, we're right now going through Genesis on, on Sunday morning and then Revelation on Wednesday night. Uh, we have a still... We still, have an, we still have a Wednesday night Bible study, you know, that's kind of uh, something that's uh, uh, more uh, gone by in a lot, a lot of churches. And we've just, the Lord's never released us from that. Well, when Danny called me uh, say, and he said, hey, would you want to come and share at one of our, our chapels? And I said, oh, well, I would always love to do that. It's always a privilege to come and, sh- and share with uh, the school here. I was a I was a part-time student at NBC nearly 20 years ago. Uh, I took Greek and Hebrew. In the, it, it, my first semester was fall of 2000, so that's 19 years ago. I was 26 at the time, uh, married about three years. Our first son was about to be born. I was a youth pastor at Calvary Chapel Bozeman at, at the time. Just wanted to learn some Greek, and, and, uh, and so it's been a blessing even, even today. Uh, but uh, it's good to be with you guys. But when Danny called, he said, he said, uh, would you like to come by and share? He said, you could share either uh, you could share your testimony or you could speak on preaching the truth in love. And I said, like, yes, both. Like, you, would you like a brownie or ice cream? Yes. <laughs> and so I have a testimony and a three point sermon to share with you and now just uh, 26 minutes to do that. Okay, so, so we'll do our best to get through this. And now the story takes a while because it, it was 21 years in living it. And, and we'll have to cut out a few things. Uh, because it, really, you can't share your testimony, really your whole testimony, unless you really go through like every moment of every day. <laughs> because that's really, it took all of that, right? And what the Lord was doing in your life. But let me share a couple words about what the Lord did in my life, because I, I hear the theme for the chapels this, this year is, is the gospel, or what the gospel is, what the gospel is not. And ultimately, I just want to say this one thing about the gospel. The gospel is about salvation. It's about the message of Christ and saving souls, saving people. So I wanted to share my testimony to preface speaking the truth in love, because we, I was growing, I, when I grew up, our family was the ministry case at the church. We were the broken family, and the Lord saved me. And, and ever since I got saved, I just wanted to, I wanted to be used by the Lord to work in other people's lives and, and to preach uh, the, the message of salvation. I still love it when the Lord touches hearts. Let me begin my testimony just by drawing your attention to 1984, Detroit, Michigan. I'm walking down the street in poor little suburb just to the north of Detroit along the, the notorious eight-mile road in Detroit, Michigan. We were a poor family there. And I walked to the corner store, and I, we bought some Hubba Bubba, and I was not allowed to chew Hubba Bubba uh, bubble gum sugared bubble gum, uh, and I walked uh, in front of my house to my friend's house, and I had this wad of gum in my mouth. And so from like next door to in front of my house to the next door on the other side, I stopped chewing, I remember, 
So my mom, if she was looking out the window, would not see me chewing the gum I was not supposed to be chewing. And I went to my friend's house, and then I, I came back. And as soon as I walked into the house, my mom said, Ted, I need to talk to you. Come in here. And I sat down, and I'm like, gulp, like I'm in trouble. And she said, your dad has been arrested. She, she showed me a newspaper article. Your dad has been arrested for armed robbery. And to, I share this story because it shows you how irrever, irreversibly screwed up I am without Jesus and the complete dif- dysfunctionality of our family, that my response to that was, at least I didn't get in trouble for the bubble gum. Like I was like, I wasn't distraught that my dad was in jail. That it, like I, I just was happy I didn't get busted for the bubble gum. And my mom was a first-generation Christian. And my dad, uh, he, although he professed faith when they, they had met, uh, my mom got saved in college. He f- quickly fell away from the Lord. He spent a year in, in the state prison when I was in fourth grade. And I just, from the very early days of my life, I realized that, that I had a, a tendency to sin and a fierce desire to hide my sin. But nonetheless, I had an acute awareness that to walk with the Lord was right. And, and I, I remember, even before that, I remember stealing some, some candy, sitting in my closet, eating the candy, and so troubled about that that I had to come and confess my sin to my, my mom. I remember somewhere right around that same time, 10th, 11th grade, singing Amazing Love, How Can It Be That Thou, My God, Would Die For Me. You get to the fourth stanza, and we, you, you have my, you know, you, the, his, your eyes diffused the quickening ray, and, and my chains fell off, you know, and, and my heart was free. I rose, I went forth, I followed thee. And I remember in my bedroom, somewhere 10 and 11, with a hymnal crying, singing about chains falling off. And like, what kind of chains did I have? But there was this deep awareness of my sin and, and really, I believe, a desire to want to, to walk with the Lord. Well, I, I remember not being able to get to sleep when I was a child because I had my fifth grade football trophy sitting there on the counter, participation trophy. <laughs> and in our church, it was a good church, not everything was accurate. I was just this little conservative Bible church I grew up in, head coverings for the gals and old King James for everybody. And, and, but one thing we were taught growing up is that you couldn't have graven images and a trophy, the, the little golden guy or plastic guy overlaid with some sort of gold covering, uh, was a graven image. And I remember not being able to get to sleep until I actually got up out of bed, walked across the room, and ripped that guy off the top of the trophy so I could have a clean conscience before God, although that was not needed, but it, I, I thought it was needed. If it's not from faith, it's sin, right? And, and I just had, and so I, that was, that's where I was growing up. Uh, I hated being made fun of. I, I had the fear of man. I, I, and, and so somehow in eighth grade, I started cussing and, and telling dirty jokes and, and realized that that could, that could win me some popularity. I ended up shooting the mailman with a BB gun and uh, that was when you didn't get in trouble for that sort of thing. And, uh, and 
Uh, the FBI did come to the house. It is a federal offense, I realize, but the way they just brought us down and <laughs> lectured us at the, at the jail at that time. And, but that brought instant popularity. And from that moment on, I, just, I really just wanted to please people. Uh, but it, what was happening, I was wrecking my conscience, and, and I would sin, and my conscience would be incredibly troubled. And, and, but, I, but at the same time, I just loved, one, the pleasure of sin, and I loved pleasing people. And so I was really in a dark spot. I remember going to an FCA camp, Fellowship of Christian Athletes camp in 10th grade, and repenting and doing okay for a summer. I remember falling back into the drugs and the alcohol, and I remember a week sober in 12th grade. Uh, it sounds weird, but it's true. I remember a week sober in 12th grade where I tried to walk with the Lord. My mom started going to a Calvary Chapel by that time. We switched churches. And I remember one time coming home drunk and just crying and calling the youth pastor. And I think that time lasted like two or three days. And then I remember the year where my conscience stopped troubling me uh, from 20 to 21. I went about a whole year with a clean conscience. Well, let's say a seared conscience. And I just was so sick of a troubled conscience that I decided that Jesus wasn't Jesus. The Bible wasn't the Bible. That was my mom's belief. And I adopted this whole whatever you believe is good for you mentality. And that was good for about a year until the Lord just totally interrupted my thoughts and my, my life again. I'm like, hey, remember, you don't exist. And, and then I remember laying in my bed. And um, I was... Uh, 21, and I just remember trying to get to sleep, and I couldn't get to sleep. I had real trouble drinking and driving. I had, I had, had a couple of uh, major incidences, wrecks, car accidents, uh, several other times being pulled over by the police. Uh, and I re really, I, I tried to perfect partying without drinking and driving, and I just realized I had a real trouble. I'd wake up, sideswiping cars, blurred. I'd wake up with a car on the lawn. It just, I was really troubled, and I was really afraid I was going to kill myself or somebody. And I just remember trying to get to sleep one night, and, and, and the Lord just was there. And, and I just had this thought, like, I need to be saved, and I need to repent. But there was this utter hopelessness that, was, that came over me because I tried to repent so many times in elementary school, in junior high, in high school, and after, and it, it never worked. And then I had this thought, like I was the first person ever to have this thought. I just thought, Lord, well, I've certainly not done a good job at saving me. Could you please just save me? I, like, I'll be saved, and I'll be a Christian if you save me. But that was it. That was like, that was my prayer. Could you save me? And by God's grace, my brother moved out to California, and he ended up getting saved, and he invited me out, and I drove out to meet him. Another major incident, and I just said, that's it, and I went out. And I got to California on a Sunday, and then on Tuesday, I'm, I'm digging at Calvary Chapel Bible College where he was working, and I was able to stay there, room and board, for just working. And, and, and I was going to just take some time out there. And I'm digging, and this guy has a conversation with me. And he says, so are you going to stay out here and become a Christian like your brother? But I hadn't really confessed my sin yet to the Lord. He's a Bible college graduate. 
He's working on the landscape crew, and he said, so you're going to stay out here and become a Christian like your brother. And I'll never forget what he said to me, what he said to me, these words. He said, so you're going to do in your heart what you know is right. And I thought, Lord, you picked me up from this mess in Detroit. You brought me 3,000 miles across the country. You set me down where I can be surrounded by Christians and, and I can be saved. And I turned around, and he didn't even know for a whole year later what happened in my heart that very moment. And I just turned around, and I bowed my head, and I said, Lord, forgive me and come into my life. And then I went into the cafeteria after that at lunchtime, and I had my food, my tray of food, and I bowed my head like I used to do when I was a kid. And I said, thank you, Lord, for the food. And I was new. I was brand new. The Lord saved my soul. And there were words that had been spoken my whole life through to me at church from my mom at Bible time before bed up into the, what this man said to me. And I believed those words. And I had the privilege of hearing the gospel and knowing the gospel and then having somebody gently bring it all home for me one day. We know that some plant, others water, and some reap. But I know that I got saved by hearing. I know I got saved by hearing. Over and over and over again until finally one kind man about my age shared the final words with me that sealed the deal. And I got saved by hearing. And so you know that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Let's open our Bibles to Ephesians chapter 4, verse 15. And now I have 15 minutes to preach a three-point sermon, but we can do it. That's five minutes a point. So my three-point sermon from Ephesians chapter 4, verse 15, is, is about this act of speaking. And so here are my points. One, we need to speak. Number two, we need to speak the truth. And number three, we need to speak the truth in love. And of course here, uh, let me read from Ephesians uh, verse four, chapter 4, verse, verse 14. That we should no longer be children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the trickery trickery of men and the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting, but speaking the truth and love may grow up in all things into him who is the head Christ, from whom the whole body joined and knit together by whatever <laughs> joint supplies according to the effective working by which every part does its share, causes the growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. So in reading these familiar verses, we see the context with which we have this exhortation to speak the truth and love or recognition that speaking the truth in love brings maturity to the body. Or we could say doctrinal accuracy in comparison with verse 14 where, that talked about every wind of doctrine, that doctrinal accuracy brings about maturity within the body and unity within, within the body. So that's the context from which these, these verses are shared. And we have a little bit of more of a broader aspect that I would like to share with you about these, these, this verse. 
this phrase, and just not only in speaking the truth and love within the church, whether it's a preaching or a counseling ministry or just a one-on-one -on -one activity, but also speaking the truth and love when it comes to evangelism and sharing the gospel. So first off, my first point, speaking. We, we know that we need to speak. And speaking's hard, especially when we're talking about the things of Scripture, because men don't think like Scripture speaks. We, we are in naturally different and see the world differently than the way the, that Scripture sees the world. So whether you're talking to an unbeliever or a believer, we're always telling somebody something that they don't want to hear. Even if they're down in the dumps and we're telling them of God's goodness and trying to lift them up, speaking is always challenging. Hey, say that to my face, you know, somebody might say. And, you know, it's hard to talk to somebody's face. It's always easier to talk behind their back to say something behind their back rather than look right in their face and tell them something they don't want to hear. You know, she's really struggling with this. She needs to repent of that. Easy to say behind her back. Looking at her, hey, you know what? I think, you know, I think you're not a girl, so you're a girl. Yeah. Hey, you need to repent of that. Like, that's hard for me. Like, to look down, sit down with somebody, look them in the eye and say, here, here's something that needs to change about your life. And what if that person's an unbeliever? And they, like, hey, you need to change everything about your life. Everything you've ever thought, everything you've ever believed, it's, throw that out. And so it's hard to speak. Jeremiah chapter 1, the Lord said to Jeremiah when he was a youth, he said, the Lord said to Jeremiah, do not be afraid of their faces. That's weird. Like, why, why would I be afraid of their faces? Well, it's because when you're talking to somebody, you're looking at their face, and if you're telling them something they don't want to hear, they're like, you know, like, you, oh, looks that can kill. And so first off, speaking, I just want to say that we have to speak. The gospel is communicated through words. And so we have to speak, and speaking can be challenging. We also, I love in Acts 8.35, when Philip preached to the Ethiopian eunuch, the Bible actually goes out of its way to, to use this phrase, which is not needed. And Philip opened his mouth and began at this scripture, preach Jesus to him. Of course he opened his mouth. And I just like, what else would he do? How else are you going to talk? But I like that because it's just saying, like, the first thing you have to do when you talk to somebody, you actually have to open your mouth. And that's a hard thing to do. Um, you know, Jesus said, you know, don't worry about how or what you'll speak in times of persecution. The, the Lord will help you. So, so the first thing I just want to say is that you have to speak, and I hope you speak. I hope you're willing to speak. But now, speak the truth. One result of the challenge of just speaking is that it's easier to not speak the truth, but just to tell people what they want to hear. And so because it's challenging to speak the truth, some people don't want to shut up. Some pastors recognize that it's difficult to speak the truth, but they love speaking. And so they're going to keep on speaking, but they're going to leave off the truth. And so we have heaps of ear ticklers today that will just tell people what they want to hear. But if we're going to speak, we have to speak the truth, not like the prophets in Jeremiah's day that said, peace, peace, when there was no peace, or in Ezekiel's day. 
But we have to stand up and we have to speak the truth. Why else would Paul ask for prayer in Ephesians 6 for himself that he would speak boldly as he ought to speak? Because it's challenging. It's hard to speak the truth. And so we, we want to... We, we want to communicate truth, but sometimes it can be so hard. Well, there is no way of speaking in love without speaking the truth. And I have to admit, my three-point sermon on these three words are only built on two Greek words. Because the words speaking and truth are one word. Speaking the truth. And in reality, there is no speaking in the church in love if it's not speaking the truth. There, there, you can say a lot of words. You can say it in a loving way. But if it's not the truth, you've said nothing. And so we have one message, the truth of Christ and his eternal salvation, his redemption. And we must speak that. We must speak that truth. But we speak that truth in love. And so another challenge of speaking, some people want to leave off the truth, but another challenge of speaking is speaking the truth, but not in love. I'm sure you've observed this when you've seen somebody have a conversation and saying a hard thing. Why do our faces start to twitch and get all distorted when, we're, when we say something that we really didn't want to have to say to somebody? Maybe you just fly off the handle, you've seen a friend, and he's like, He's like, well, you're like this. And all of a sudden, like, this emotion is taking over the ability to speak clearly. And sometimes preachers preach that way when they're speaking the truth. Then all of a sudden, they get angry when they're speaking about hell or agitated when they're speaking about sin. And really what's happening is there's this blowback that's happening in their hearts because they really don't want to be speaking the truth at all. And it's really hard to open up your mouth and tell somebody something they don't want to hear that's going to contradict their thinking. And so now we're just going to get it out. And we're almost saying it in such a way to where it's not, it's not coming across loving. But have you ever been with somebody when they've addressed a subject that is like so touchy and they do it with such grace and candor and such a quiet demeanor, amazing grace that we say, how did he address that subject so gently. Well, that's like Jesus. We remember of the Lord, Luke 4.22, how the people marveled at the gracious words that came out of his mouth. Again, the, the scripture says they marveled at the gracious words that came out of his mouth. Or he spoke as one who had authority and not as the scribes. He wasn't beating people, but there was a, a gentle authority about him. Or no man ever spoke like this man. Or John 1, Jesus full of grace and truth, right? And so we want to be those that are bold enough to open our mouth to speak. We want to be those that are bold enough to speak truth. But may God give us grace to do so in love in such a way to where we're winning people's hearts. Let our speech always be with grace, seasoned with salt, that you may know how you ought to answer each one. This past, the past year at Calvary alone, we've, we've been through 1 Peter in its entirety. Uh, we're, we're finishing Mark, 
Uh, now we're in Genesis. And such topics ha have arisen during those books of the Bible where you have like the demon-possessed man that was cutting himself with stones. So I talked about cutting from the pulpit, about the epidemic of young people today cutting themselves. And you, you, amazed, you start to talk about cutting from the pulpit and everybody's eyes are up. And you can either do like, what's wrong with the stupid young people today <laughs> cutting themselves? No, to do it with gentleness and grace and, and talk about how this man who was demon-possessed was hurting himself. It's the enemy's desire for us to harm ourselves. It's the Lord's desire to save you. And just talk about grace and how, and I know that we have, you know, you're going to have some cutters out there. And then you're leading them gently to the cross. Or we're in Genesis. We're, I'm talking about same-sex attraction or or. Marvel of marvels, we have to talk about gender identity. But you have to do it with grace. The most troubled people, could you imagine somebody struggling with gender identity? Could there be a more confused or hurting person on the planet? They, we can't bash them or make light of it and have the whole congregation laughing on some Sunday morning about the people that are confused, whether they're even a boy or a girl. It's like we don't take that approach, but we have, we're going to address it. We're going to talk about it but hopefully in a redemptive fashion. Three minutes for my closing. 2 Timothy 2.26. Would you flip to 2 Timothy 2.24, actually? It's 2.24 through 2.26. The gospel is about Saving souls. God wants to save souls. God wants to use you and your voice to communicate truth so souls will be saved. God wants to save souls through the communication of his word. He wants sanctification in the church through the communication of his word. We never leave off the gospel. And so we need to be those, especially if you're called to be a pastor or a counselor or a missionary, you are this crop right here in this room are those that are going to use your voice for the rest of your life to tell people things that they don't want to hear in order to save their soul. Things that they previously maybe did not agree with. And this is how you do it. 2 Timothy 2.24 And a servant of the Lord must not quarrel, but be gentle to all, able to teach, patient, in humility, correcting those who are in opposition. If God perhaps will grant them repentance so that they may know the truth. And hear this, hear this. That they may come to their senses and escape the snare of the devil, having been taken captive by him to do his will. You see the goal of the Lord here? Re granting repentance to people, that's his work bringing them to their senses, they're changing their mind. So they're being released from the captivity to the wicked one. But how, did, how does this happen? By us communicating the truth without quarreling with people, being gentle with people, patient, waiting for them to get it, not beating it into their skulls, in humility, lowliness of mind, and in that way, we are correcting those that oppose. And not oppose us. They're opposing the gospel. 
We need to speak like Jesus, full of grace and truth. Lord, we thank you for your word. We just pray that we'd be bold to speak truth. To first, just to speak. Lord, how hard it is just to even open our mouths and to communicate biblical truth, which people don't in their natural vocation agree with or think that way. And so, Lord, help us just to open our mouths. And, Lord, we pray that you'd help us when we open our mouth to, to let truth come out, to speak truth, even the hard things. And as we speak, speak those hard things, keep us from having distorted, angry faces, but gentle and calm demeanors filled with grace and truth so that you might use the words of the gospel to impact hearts, change lives, that believers would be further sanctified and unbelievers might be saved. It's in Jesus' name that we pray these things. And lastly, I just want to pray one more thing. Lord, I just want to pray for my brothers and sisters gathered right here. I pray that you'd speak truth to their hearts as they gather to hear your word at church, as they learn at Bible college, and even this morning. Lord, I just pray that you'd speak truth to them and that you might sanctify them through the truth that you want to communicate to their hearts and their lives. And lift them up, Lord, if any may struggle with sin or need grace right now. We thank you, Lord, that you, you forgive and you're a merciful God. We thank you for the gospel. We thank you for your renewing work in our lives. Would you just continue to faithfully change us and work in us? And we thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.